just as a a warm-up, not really as a warm-up, but as part of our evening, I would first uh, open the floor to any questions that you might have about your meditation practice, anything about the teachings of awakening as... um, um, spoken of by the Buddha, uh, any descriptions or comments, concerns, time to really speak about what's alive in your practice so that we don't just keep our conversation on a theoretical level, but something that's really relevant to your immediate practice or the practice in your life. Anybody have a question? Please. Assuming that you've practiced and had experienced some of the fruits of practice, some kind of insights or awakening. Uh, how should your action balance between more practice and action? How should your practice balance between practice and action? Could you say more specifically about yourself? Because I'm not really getting the question. No, you're, you're speaking a little theoretically. I want to hear about you and your experience, because otherwise I, it's just not making any sense to me. I'm sorry. Um, you know, assuming you have a free week, you have a, a free week to do whatever you want. Do you have a free week? Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay, assuming you have a free week and you have a free week. Yeah. So if you had this situation, you had two options between practicing or what was the other option? Anything else. Anything else. What would you do? <laughs> I'm asking you. I eat. I would eat. I would break. Bre- I would bake bread. Sounds like a good start. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I, I don't think I can answer a question of what should I do when it comes to um, what you're... I, I, I often say here that the path of practice is not something that we, that we just follow in some kind of cookie-cutter approach. You do this, 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 and this, but one that we create out of the fabric of our life and the very situation of our life. So there's not one moment that you describe whether you go on retreat or not that isn't a, a practice opportunity, opportunity to be loving, a practice, uh, an opportunity to be non-harming, a practice, an opportunity to practice uh, being present and being, remaining embodied. And so it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. So I don't know if I spoke to your question, but... And, Sorry if I was a little harsh, but please, Madison. Um, I have a question about 
question about adversity? Yeah, how do we deal with adversity in our practice when, well, in the case of our physical environment here, well, this is kind of mild adversity where someone next to you is either breathing hard or they've brought their baby along and their baby is crying incessantly. How do we, how do we meet that experience? And the teachings invite us or challenge us to see if we can, in all cases, in all situations, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, to see if we can maintain some sense of composure or balance, that we can, uh, that we can ride that storm if it, it comes. But sometimes that, that recommendation that we ride the storm means that we shouldn't have any reaction at all. But riding the storm, this is, I'm generalizing right now, but riding the storm means also riding the storm of our own reactions. And more often than not, riding the storm, when I'm just, when I'm fixated or focused on whatever I would call the object or the disturbance, I don't, I'm not very easily able to ride that storm. But once I shift the attention from riding the storm of the disturbance to riding the storm of my reaction, once I start attending to my reaction, if I'm getting really frustrated, really restless, really churning inside, once I bring some attention to that and some loving attention, some heartful attention to that, usually I can, I get some, I get my bearings, I, I, I get the connection back with being embodied, I'm much more able then to, to discern whether or not this is a situation that I can find my composure. And if I find that I'm not able to find my balance, having given loving attention to my reactions, as well as the sound, at that point I may... Uh, I may get up and leave. So it's not to suggest that you always stay with a hot fire. The world is full of hot fires. Sometimes we can't get away, so it's really useful to practice with hot fires. But when you can get away, sometimes that's the wise and loving response. But I think the most important piece for me is to, as much as I can, to take my attention for those moments when I realize that I'm getting triggered take my attention off of the object of the trigger because if I focus on that I'll get I'll further disconnect I'll, and I'll further blame the distraction for the fact that I've lost my center 
So if I can take my attention off the object, put it back in my body, put it back in my heart, put it back in, oh, this is really hard. I'm really having a hard time keeping my seat. Let me feel what that's like. Oh, this is what feeling all churned up and blown by the winds of circumstances. This is what it's like. Oh, this is hard. So it's possible in that case for a little compassion, self-compassion to flow. And that's a road less traveled. We often don't bring self-compassion in a moment like that. We usually bring blame and demand, and it tends to increase our frustration instead of decrease it. Now, sometimes we can be philosophical about, about what's going on, and we get relief just by realizing, oh, yeah, babies cry, can't control things. Sometimes just talking ourselves down can work, but sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't help. Pleasure. Anyone else have any comments, questions? Please, Jim. One of your early childhood traumas was abandonment. carried the fear of abandonment through your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you abandon yourself frequently when you uh, go out of your body. When you get lost in thought, also a kind of self-abandoning. That's right. Yeah, when you come back to your body, the feeling of abandonment, that feeling of disconnection begins to fade away. Great. Nothing to add about that other than stay, stay in your body. Please. Do you know I'm I'm not able to hear unless you speak really loudly. Thank you. F- feelings of intense anger toward your practice? Within your practice, the feelings of intense anger that come up about issues in your life. Yeah, how do we deal with feelings of intense anger that come up in our practice about our life and situations of our life? So how do you deal with them up to this point? Not constructively. So I, as I hear your question, I trust that you know what would be a wise response and loving response to the anger that arises, what would that be? You inter- you internalize the anger. Right. 
Right. Okay. I th I, I'm having such a hard time hearing that I think I'll try to take what you've said and, and respond to it. The tendency, our number one tendency in dealing with anger, this is a general response, but the number one tendency is either to internalize it, suppress it, basically, which means to just not want to leak too much and we just stuff it and then get walk around irritated a lot. And many of us do this innocently because there was a time and there are still many situations where it's not safe to express the, the heat of what we may be experiencing, the sense of aggression or, or just even our whatever upset, that it wasn't really safe to tell the truth in some way. So there's a tendency to not feel what we feel, not let ourselves feel it. We just kind of stuff it, get over it, whatever it is. And so it it percolates, it festers internally. And then any kind of situation that, that is uh, similar or mimics what that situation is that evoked, evoked that anger, it very easily pops up to the surface. And so suppressing it is not the recommendation of the Dharma, even though the encouragement is don't dump your anger on anyone. Don't, because it's, it will just come right back at you. The more you vent, the more you're, you're flexing the muscle of, of anger, and it will just get stronger. But so what do you do if you shouldn't suppress, nor should you act it out? The road less traveled, the, le the most infrequent response is to feel it, is to turn our attention toward the feeling of anger, not the story of anger. The story of anger, as you describe the situations of your life, in order to actually uh, think about the situations of your life, in order to have the situations of your life, you have to think about them. And the more you think about them, especially the ones that trigger anger, the tendency is for the anger to keep proliferating until you're so full with this uh, story that you believe that that very situation is right here on the spot. When in fact, situation may something happened 30 years ago. And we carry it around, as Ajahn Sumedho says, like a conceptions bag. And, and it's, it's, as though, it's as though this little bag, you just have to open it up. And here comes a memory of something 30 years ago and you start to feel on fire. So the more, you f the more you think about what you're angry about, the more it tends to feed that sense of, uh, of, in some ways, a sense of hopelessness and feeds the feeling. So that road less traveled is to feel the experience, how it's manifesting here and now. So the very feeling of it, what does anger feel like? Where does it felt in your body? What happens to it when it's felt? So we do a few things. We recognize it. This is anger. This is ill will. The situation at that point that you feel it, the situation, the story is irrelevant. It's endless. Hang on a sec. 
once you felt it, you feel, you recognize the presence of anger, you feel its quality. How often do you do this? Do you feel the aching or the stabbing or the burning or the squeezing or the searing or the whatever that felt experience is? Not very often. Usually we're way into the story. Does this relate to you at all? Okay. When you're able to feel it in the way that I'm describing, and sometimes we can't stay very long because we're, we're, the feeling itself tends to then trigger the story again. But if you can just hang out with that feeling, you will, and recognize it, and investigate what happens to that feeling when it's felt, you will recognize that that feeling is in a state of continual change, transformation, flux. It's not me, it's not mine, it's not permanent, it's just a, a massive weather front that has uh, arisen according to situation according to conditions and usually it loses its steam if we're not feeding the story of it. So it is that middle place, the middle place between acting it out, discharging it, getting lost in the story of it, and suppressing it. And that is to, to feel it. Of course you're going to notice the story associated with it. You just don't feed it. Please, you. Right, okay. Yes, she says, sometimes it helps to have compassion for the person who's pissing me off within reason. <laughs> I was about to say one of the number one most important antidotes for the feeling of ill will and anger is loving kindness. And the loving-kindness can be directed toward the object of our aversion, or it can be directed toward ourselves to make sure, in, also in th this kind of situation, just like Madison's situation of where we're getting triggered, to bring some self-compassion for how, how easily we're thrown off our seat. We are really, no one ever really pisses us off. What makes us, this is, a, this is a bold statement, but what pisses us off is that we lose our center. We lose connection. We lose the, the capacity to stay home. And of course we've been losing that capacity to stay home and embodied e with equilibrium. We've been losing it since we were little people. And we've been losing it innocently. But nevertheless, the way out of this situation is back to ourselves. It's not to immediately go and attack the cause of, uh, of that disconnection externally, but to come home to ourselves. Now, there are, if we are in relationship with other people, we may have to, and it may be actually useful, to then let the people in our lives know, and this is a... a to me, a, a different way of approaching talking to somebody about, about having um, been triggered is rather than telling them that they pissed you off, to use your expression, rather to tell them that when they did what they did, you got pissed off. 
and you got pissed off, and you're really working with with your with your the fact that you got pissed off. You're really working with it, and you want I want. I want to let you know, I'm, a, I'm just imagining that I'm talking, I want to let you know that I'm, I, when you act in this way, I really struggle with keeping my center. I try a lot, but I notice that I'm very reactive and that I get angry when you act and say things like this. And I'd like to be able to keep my cool here, but sometimes I don't. And if there's any way that... Uh, you could support me to, to keep my cool and not be so reactive. That would be great, too. But I'm really responsible for my anger. You're not. Now, most of us are so into blaming and demanding that we never get to that point to fully acknowledge that the issue here is that I lost my center. And, we're, we are, and there are people in our life who, are, who would almost to all of us feel like irritants and so we can so easily fall into this kind of agreement field that somebody else is, is the cause of my suffering and it may be true that that person when they're when they're in a situation everybody seems to get irritated everybody seems to get reactive but if there's one person that doesn't get reactive that tells you that it's not inherent in that person's behavior that it has something to do with our own reactions so we work with that as much as possible. Please. Could you speak up a little? Exactly. Yes. That's right. Yes. Yes. Thank you. It inspires compassion when, when you, often when you can say that you're struggling instead of. Please, Richard. Friend who's been on death row for 25 years, did you say? Your friend... His greatest hope for the world, for his world, is to get life in prison without the possibility of parole. His sense of hope is so limited. Yes. 
Yes, you, you yeah, you want to I, I'm trying I want to speak into the microphone what you're saying so that the whole world can hear. <laughs> uh, you're wanting to communicate to him that that uh, his hope is very small and that he can expand his his and it's causing you a lot of turmoil. Yeah, it's, there's nothing wrong with that, but it, it's, it's wrong for you. So it, this... Exactly. Well, whenever, whenever you'll notice in almost every situation, whether you're, when you're angry or when you're disturbed or upset, it's usually because there is some identification. And identification means some, something that you're identified with that's being shaken. And that identification is either with something that you want very badly, and I'm sure you would like him to have more freedom, or identification with a view or an opinion of, of how his situation should be or how he should think, for example, or just identified with your role in the situation. Any one of those, whenever we have strong identification, this is when we often feel Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.